Hi, this is Dale Buchanan, the host of Puppy Talk Podcast. Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know of my new book, The Complete Puppy Training Manual. It's available on Amazon in four formats Kindle ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. You can find it on Amazon right now. It's called The Complete Puppy Training Manual, and I will put a link in the show notes of this episode. I'm Dale Buchanan, and this is Puppy Talk, the podcast that offers advice on how to raise a healthy, happy, and obedient puppy. This podcast is sponsored by Top Gun Dog Training. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast now so you don't miss a single episode of Puppy Talk. Welcome to episode number 10 of Puppy Talk. I'm Dale Buchanan, and today I've got a very special guest. This is Michael Shikashio. He is an internationally sought-after keynote speaker and presenter on the topic of dog aggression. He has presented at numerous events, conferences, and universities worldwide. He has mentored and presented to thousands of animal professionals in 12 different countries and has been a guest at every major dog training conference in the U.S. and Mexico. I'll just list a few of these here. It's the APDT, American Professional of Dog Trainers, where, by the way, Michael was the 2020 Member of the Year. He is also a certified dog behavior consultant through the IAABC. That's the International Association of Behavior Consultants. He is also presented for FDAC, that's Fancy Dog Sports Academy, Clicker Expo, Victoria Stillwell's DBC, and so many other things. Now, I first found out about Michael when I took his aggressive dog trainer course last year, and he was doing a presentation for Pet Working Pro. It was a summer uh, conference. And I went to his website, which is aggressivedog.com, and then I started listening to his podcasts, which is the bitey end of the dog. We're going to talk a little bit about that later on. And I became friends with Michael through online um, chat and through emails and through his awesome, awesome Facebook group, which is the same name, Aggressive Dog Master Course Graduates and Attendees. It's a closed group. Only dog behavior consultants and dog trainers have access to that. But I am so honored to introduce Michael. And before I do so, I have one more thing to say. <laughs> this is really very cool. My mentor, Hannah, who was from Catch Canine Trainers Academy, said this about Michael. When I said I was taking his course, she said, he is going to be up there with the Gene Donaldsons, the Patricia McConnells, and the Karen Priors. And I had no idea who this guy was when I first signed up for his course. And that's what she said about him last August. So hello, Michael. Wow, that's quite the uh, introduction. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. It is such a pleasure to have you. And today we're going to talk about a very important topic. Now, I'm not sure if, if you're familiar so much with this podcast, but it's Puppy Talk. And we are we are educating owners on how to raise a a happy, healthy, obedient puppy. And I think that your information fits in with this quite well, because I know I've trained 150 puppies just in 2020. And I have a lot of people come to me with puppy aggression right from the breeder. 
So first thing I want to do is I wanted you to help us define what is dog aggression? Sure. So that's a that's a big question, one that I get often. And I will say that the definition, true definition, actually changes for me every single year a little bit. You know, I've got to refine it because if you ask 10 different experts on dog aggression, they're going to actually all have different uh, definitions for it. But I, I kind of just try to, again, distill it down to the observable behaviors we're seeing uh, rather than putting that label on any dog or puppy. So, you know, if we're determining or defining the behaviors, things like barking, lunging, growling, snarling, snapping, and biting, used to increase distance from a particular stimulus or make something threatening or scary go away, that's typically uh, the context in which you'll see aggressive behavior. So, uh, that's sort of the simplistic definition of it. And that's what the goal of most dogs using aggressive behaviors is, is to uh, make something go away, something uh, increase distance from a particular stimulus. Now, let's talk about the different types of aggression, because in your aggressive dog master course that I took, there are basically three types that we went through. Uh, dog to human aggression, dog to dog aggression, and resource guarding. So let's talk a little bit about those and how they can be different from each other but also how they can overlap. Sure. So, so you're going to have, um, as you mentioned, the overlap, right? So with dog to human, uh, dog to dog, let me rephrase that, dog to human aggression, you might have elements of resource guarding there. So a dog that bites somebody that uh, is approaching the food bowl, that would be, could be considered dog to human aggression or resource guarding. So there's overlap there. So, you know, you have kind of, you have the target of the dog's behavior we can define and, then put it into categories that way. So dog to human, dog to dog, dog to other animal aggression. And then you look at the underlying motivation for the particular uh, behavior. Uh, resource guarding would be the goal of protecting or uh, resource from a potential threat to that resource. So, um, and then of course you can start to dig deeper and to separate those things out. Like, so if we were just to go back to the dog to human aggression category, we might determine other types of underlying motivations. Some dogs might be fearful of a certain person or people in general, or we have dogs that might be uh, protecting their person from other people, or they might be protecting property, things that we might even purpose breed for in certain dogs. So there's, uh, you know, again, you can start to distill and determine what the underlying motivation is when you want to look, if you want to put a particular label on that uh, actual aggressive behavior. So that's my next question, kind of leading up to it. You led up to it right there. I have it on my list here. How and why do dogs become aggressive? Now, I know from stuff that I've read and studied and learned about through our, our Facebook group is it can stem from fear, stress, and anxiety. So what have you found and what studies have been uh, known out there of, of how dogs become aggressive? What are the steps that lead up to that? So aggression is, again, uh, behavior with any species, really, that's using aggressive behavior. Uh, and many times is to increase distance from a stimulus or they're using it to um, uh, maintain priority access to a resource. So uh, those are the kind of underlying motivations for aggression. And so those, those emotional responses you were, talk, you were just mentioned, like fear, anxiety, and stress are the motivations for that particular aggressive response. So um, it, it really, again, you want to look at the function of the behavior and why the dog feels the need to display an aggressive behavior towards particular stimulus. And again, it boils down to increasing distance or uh, self-preservation 
uh, of either themselves or resources in most cases. So it's actually a very normal behavior for all species, almost all species to use in the context of their normal life, right? And and it's oftentimes we you know we hear about aggressive dogs, and it kind of can be a off-putting or it just doesn't sound right. You know, so it's like, why is your dog being aggressive? And same thing with us, we're going to segue into, I'm sure, is puppies. You know, it's a, people will see an aggressive puppy or a puppy at such a young age. Uh, it's like seeing a child walking around with a machine gun, right, in Toys R Us or something. But it's, it's just something that you don't expect to see, and it can be off-putting to the casual observer. But oftentimes, they're just using an, an innate, normal response to what they perceive as a threat. So... I get a lot of emails and calls from people that have puppies and they say, oh, you got to come help me. My dog's aggressive. And then when I dig a little bit more, I realize that the dog has never bitten anybody. It's never bitten another dog. It has aggressive behavior, meaning it could be lunging and growling and maybe a snarl or maybe an air snap, but it's never done any damage to anybody. So would we label that as aggression or just aggressive behavior or is there an actual difference? I think it's it's still all this, it still all boils down to um, really defining the observable behaviors. And that what I mean by that is that sure we could call it aggressive behavior, but really we could call it just behavior. So barking is a behavior, lunging is a behavior, um, but we it doesn't necessarily mean that um, the dog we want to label the dog aggressive. We want to deal with that behavior if it's undesirable for us. So if the dog is growling at something, some would call it aggression, some would call it aggressive behavior, and sure, we might put that in that category. We don't necessarily need to to help the dog, in other words. So I try to, with my clients, not necessarily use the term, your dog's aggressive or you have an aggressive dog. We'll say, your dog is growling when somebody approaches the food bowl or uh, tries to clip its toenails. And that really just helps them understand that that's the behavior we're observing. It's undesirable to us. So we want to change it. And then we address the reason for it. And then, of course, install appropriate desirable behaviors to replace that particular growling behavior. I know that you're in contact with a lot of uh, dog behavior consultants and dog trainers. And what have a lot of them been reporting that they found recently since COVID started, you know, almost a year ago? We, I know a separation anxiety is a big deal with a lot of a lot of dogs right now and puppies, but what have they been reporting as far as uh, an increase in any type of aggression over the past nine months? So the two big ones I'm seeing is the pandemic puppies. So a lot of people went out and got puppies during the pandemic because they wanted a dog or a companionship when they're stuck at home, um, which isn't a bad thing. A lot of the shelters got emptied out. A lot of adult dogs were adopted. Also, a lot of puppies were purchased were acquired during that time and they these puppies unfortunately didn't get as much exposure to things that they normally would have pre-pandemic times and that's as you know very important to actively socialize a dog properly at that young age that uh, impactful age of critical development is it's so crucial to to the behavioral health of many dogs and unfortunately, many of the dogs did not get that aspect. And so this lack of socialization turned into uh, a fear of some of these stimuli, which increases the likelihood for aggression because the dog is scared of that particular stimulus. So the dogs, let's see, the pandemic's going on about a year, almost a year now. And so some of these dogs are 
getting into that adolescent age, seven, eight, nine months. And um, they're now maybe some of the restrictions are being lifted. So they're seeing their first, you know, motorcycle or kid on a bike that they may have not seen as much. And so that's one of the most common ones I'm seeing. The other one where uh, I'm hearing about and seeing a lot myself is owner-directed aggression uh, and often during handling or petting type of scenarios. And the reason for that is, again, the change in routine, the change in uh, the dog's lifestyle has been significantly impacted in many cases. And that's because the owners are home, the kids are home from school all the time now, so the dog is not getting enough rest. And we we always, you know, in the dog training and dog owning world, we've always heard like, you got to give your dog enough exercise. You got to make sure they're getting enough stimulation to ensure they have good behavior. That's true. But on the other side of the coin, they also need to have enough rest and enough downtime. And, and people would be surprised just how much their dogs need to sleep uh, and, and get that downtime. And there, a lot of dogs aren't getting that. So the kids are constantly petting the dog or trying to play with the dog and then the parents come over and touch the dog and so the dog's not getting enough rest and they get grumpy and irritated and then they start uh, reacting towards any kind of petting when they're trying to rest so those are the two kind of more common ones i'm seeing right now with the given the, the times that's yeah i've read i've i've read that a lot on our facebook group uh the aggressive dog master course facebook group that a lot of uh behavior consultants are commenting that puppies just aren't getting enough rest and by the way, to clear everything, all this up for people, and I've mentioned this so many times on past episodes, young puppies need, you know, 14 to 18 hours of sleep a day. They need a lot of sleep. And also the critical socialization period that Mike talked about is between four and 12 to 16 weeks old, four to eight weeks old from the breeder. They have to be socialized with and introduced to a lot of different people and stimulus. So they're desensitized to that. And when we get them at eight or 10 weeks old, we have to continue that process. If the puppies are not introduced to a lot of people during that time, then they don't know about it being introduced to people and they develop fear. Fear could ultimately lead to aggression. And the stress, anxiety, fear in young puppies is not something that anybody wants because it will most likely result in a serious behavior issue, whether it's aggression or not. So, that has to be really, you know, um, set in stone to the owners that they have to get the puppy enough socialization, desensitization to stimulus, sleep. Those are the foundational core things that all new puppy owners must have. And this leads us into the next thing. What happens when the owners have stress and anxiety? How does that affect young puppies? You know, I think there is some, you know, there's a lot of debate over that, just how much our own uh, inner emotions affect the puppy's behavior or dog's behavior in general. Um, and the jury's still out on just how much that can have an effect. There have been some more recent studies on, on dogs sensing our own fear. Uh, but it's, it's, I think, important to realize not so much are them like reading our brains, you know, like really, um, some some you know scientific like uh, sci-fi like thriller where if something the dogs are suddenly reading our minds i think it's more based on what our behaviors are like that are a result of our underlying emotional uh, uh responses and feelings at the time so you know when we're in a higher state of stress we're more likely to um, do things irrationally or uh maybe lean towards punishment or doing things to our dogs that they might not like 
Uh, and so sometimes that can have an impact in our dog's behavior, of course. And certainly the changes in our routines and patterns, uh, our facial expressions. I mean, dogs have evolved so wonderfully by being able to read our subtleties, right? Being able to see the changes in our, our facial expressions and our movements, because that's how they learn to communicate from us, right? They, they're reading those little micro signals because they're not going to understand the words we're saying, but they do understand our facial expressions and our movements and our body posture and things like that. That's how they're communicating. They're reading us much like we have to read them by reading their body language. So I do think that uh, dogs are very intuitive to that, especially once they get to really know you and they see this like consistent pattern of what you look like on a typical day, your facial expressions, your mannerisms, uh, your actions, your movements, they're going to be very in tune to that. And if that changes in a way, that can really impact their behavior. So I don't necessarily think they're like saying, oh, you know, Mike's really fearful today or Mike's got that meeting tomorrow on his mind. They're seeing his facial expression looks a little bit concerned. His brow, his brows are a little furrowed. He seems a little tense. Um, you know, those are the things I think they're able to sense. And certainly, um, I'll give you a good example, right? <laughs> Dale, my, my own dog, Castagna, she's a Chilean street dog. And, um, you know, one time Mario and I had a little, we we're having like a heated discussion and, and, and we, it was when we were cooking and, um, Mara started like, chopping some garlic on the cutting board like a little bit more robustly <laughs> than she normally would because Tanya picked up on that and she you could you know she you could, I don't know what she sensed in it or what she was reading but she like took off after that so from that day anytime we break out the garlic in the cutting board Tanya's like oh I, I don't know about this situation so it's interesting how just how much of an impact some moments like that can play in our dog's lives Dogs, they are masters of body language, masters of change and facial expressions and everything. They pick it up 100 times more than we do. And they learn through association as we as dog trainers and behavior consultants know. And I think, you know, dog pet puppy owners are learning. They pick up everything. We're training our dog all the time. We're teaching them all the time, everything that we do. I've been to couples houses and seen them arguing over something while the puppy's there and seen the puppy run off in the corner and scared because the couple was arguing. And I mentioned to them, you know, what you just did to each other has an impact on your puppy. And they weren't even aware of that until I pointed it out to them. So everything that we do in the puppy's presence can, like you said, have an impact on the puppy. And, you know, I was just curious as to that stress and anxiety rubbing off on the pipe. I know a lot of people right now with COVID are, are more stressed, more anxiety, more doubt, more fear. The election just happened, all kinds of changes in our world. And I tried to mention to the client's, that I work with, just be aware of everything that you're doing in front of the puppy, how it could be affecting them. And like you said, it could be, it could be some, you know, weird science or maybe not, but I know for a fact that with my own puppy, if I'm calm around her, she's usually very calm. If I'm excited, if I go real, Hey Dixie, and she's going to get and start jumping around and going crazy, you know? So, you know, I have noticed that even with my own puppy and I think we're going to move into now what are the signs that dog owners need to notice in their puppy so that they can see early warnings of possible aggression. Now, I mentioned to you before we started that I got one of our colleagues, Michael Curran from Houston Dog Behavior, involved with the case that I'm involved with right now, where I had done puppy training for this dog for 10 sessions. 
And it was a great rescue dog. And it did, it was my star student. And the owners had texted me and said, we think Nova is aggressive. And I called them up. I said, well, what's going on? Because I made friends with this couple and they were really great clients of mine. And they said, well, it's attack three dogs, guarding water from a water hose, guarding food, guarding treats. And one of the dogs was my mother's dog. And I said, wow, did no bites? No, it was just attacked and was very aggressive toward the dog to move the dog away, just like you said earlier. And I said, well, let me come take a look at it. And I did. And the owner took a bone out and held the bone up to in front of her. And her dog lunged toward her parents' family dog and did an air snap. The dog is blind, so it didn't even see it. But it moved back because it felt it. And I said, okay, the dog is resource guarding you as the owner, and it's resource guarding the bone, and I need to get some help with this. So I contacted Michael to help us out with this, and he's taking it from there, and I'm going to be his sidekick if they need local support. So how do owners know to call a dog trainer or behavior consultant? At what point do they need to take action? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it's boils down a little bit more towards the educational aspect. So when people get puppies, knowing the subtleties rather than waiting till they see the the more overt behaviors happening, like the growling, the snapping. So uh, there's there's an educational component to that, right, Dale? There's, there's n- nobody's born knowing how to read the small signals and the subtleties of stress or anxiety or fear in a dog. Um, the small body language changes that happen in a dog that takes time to learn. Even as professionals, we take it takes time for us to learn. But that can go a long way if we can start to understand how to read our dogs when they're uncomfortable in any particular situation, whether it's kind of, you know potentially guarding a bone or whether it's a fear of a certain puzzle injury or handling procedure, or if it's they're out in the world and they're seeing another dog, we can start to see that. We can help the dog navigate that particular issue, right? We can we can get them out of trouble before they get themselves into trouble. We can help them feel more comfortable around that. We can incorporate behavior change strategies uh, at that point rather than waiting till it gets to the point of growling, snarling, snapping, biting. So... Um, but that, of course, again, people who need to know what to look for. It's like you teaching your kid how to swim. You got to know what it looks like when they're swimming and also when it looks like they're in trouble and they're about to drown. And so if we don't know what to look for, then we can't help them. Same thing with our puppies and dogs. We need to know what to look for. And the other side of the coin, of course, is knowing the typical scenarios that we can avoid to prevent the dog from having to, to, to display that behavior in the first place. So, resort, you know, bones, for instance. I don't know many dogs that can actually, you know, if you pull out a brand new marrow bone, I don't know many dogs that actually wouldn't compete over that in some way. And so it's a classic example of things that we shouldn't do. We, you know, we have sometimes romantic uh, aspirations of saying, I just, well, I can get my dog bones anytime. They never fight over it. But, you know, a lot of times the dogs will have competition over that. That's how dogs, you know, evolve to, to have, to protect their resources. Uh, same thing for humans, right? And so, if we if we know the particular context that you might see aggression, you know, a dog going to the veterinary office for the first time and uh, being restrained for a shot, you're more likely to have a risky scenario there than if you're just hanging out watching Netflix at home, right? So, you start to look for those particular contexts in which you typically would see a potential response in a dog. 
and you start to educate yourself on those things, you know, greeting another dog on a tight leash, you know, just say no to that kind of thing. You know, tight leash greetings with other dogs is prone to have some problems. Um, little kids running up and hugging strange dogs prone to have some problems. So once we start to be educated on the potential scenarios, then that's going to mitigate a lot of problems too. So uh, I, I think it boils down to those two major things for most new puppy owners is, is the educational component, really. That was my next question. You just read, you went right into it. It's like you're reading my mind here a lot of times. Uh, you know, how, how do we educate the owners to prevent this from happening? I know for Nova, the dog that I talked about earlier, she was actually attacked and had a number two bite to her on her leg from another dog at the dog park. And since that day, she was never the same. And that had a big impact on this puppy. And it's only seven or eight months old. So that's why I needed to get some extra help, you know, on this because it was very complex, a lot of things going on there. But I think you said a lot of good things. We have barrier frustration with the leash and a lot of things going on when we're, you know, walking a puppy and they want to go and greet other dogs and things like that. Uh, what can owners do to help prevent their their puppy or dog, rescue dog, for example, that they get or a young puppy from, you know, potentially having aggressive tendencies or becoming aggressive? You You mentioned some things, but can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, I think, um, again, awareness of what is, you know, a potential hotspot or potential issue for many dogs. Um, I probably should come up with some sort of list of that where they're like the top 10 places that, you know, dogs get in trouble. Um, and, you know, if they can avoid those situations or at least be aware of what to look for in those scenarios, then you're going to be able to mitigate the potential for aggressive responses. Because once the dog displays an aggressive response, they're going to remember that work. So a puppy in a dog park that gets attacked by another dog, they're going to be like, well, I had to defend myself or either that, or they're going to be like, I'm going to defend myself next time. <laughs> and so they, they go into those scenarios where it's you know, potentially uh, in their mind fraught with perils, right? So uh, that educational co component of, you know, let's keep, let's be our dogs, uh, you know, be proactive in being our dog's advocate and watching out for particular hotspot scenarios. So I mentioned the tight leash issues or um, letting the dog hang out at the fence line while the mailman comes every single day and the dog's starting to bark and get worse. Or um, when we handle the dog's nails or all of those things, if we're aware of those being potential issues, then we can, we can take our time or at least keep the dog out of that, those situations as we continue to, to develop resilience in the dog and also help them through those processes. A lot of it's management then, you're saying. Either both before and after aggression happens, right? So after yeah. aggression happens, we're, we're going to be managing. We have to manage. But even before it happens, you know, again, we have to probably um, take a step back and look at just how much we expect from our dogs sometimes. Some dogs do great, and that's the issue. Right? So people get used to that. They, they had like their past dog or past couple of dogs were great. You could go anywhere. Kids could squeeze them. Super resilient, super tolerant of everything. But then they get a new dog that may not be so tolerant of those things, uh, or maybe it just wasn't doesn't have the same socialization as their previous dogs. And we have to be aware of that. Let's why not manage it before something actually becomes a problem? So people like a classic one, if you have kids in the home and you're feeding your dog, make sure they don't get together. Make sure the dog's fed separately so the kids, especially young kids that can't follow aren't necessarily following the, the rule or directions as well, 
let's just manage it, keep them separate. Even if you don't have a dog with aggression issues, why set the, that potential stage for it to happen if we can just avoid it in the first place, right? And safety goes hand in hand with that as well, because all I kept hearing in your course, your master course that I took on aggressivedog.com, and I hear this a lot from the the group that we're involved with, uh, you know, the Facebook group, is safety, safety, safety. And, you know, I've taken that into consideration a lot when I start working with aggressive cases, because I'm fairly new to working with aggressive cases, and I want to learn as much as possible, and so do my clients. Safety and management are really the core of what we want to do when we suspect that something uh, that a puppy could have could have aggression. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, prevention is so important, especially with puppies, because they're learning at such a such a high rate, and they're you know going through these developmental stages where they can be impacted significantly often much more than let's say a five-year-old dog and that's that's built some resiliency over time and, and has been exposed to certain stressors you get a 12-week or 14-week old or even three-month five-month-old puppy then you're running much more risk of the dog really establishing a behavior pattern because they're learning that well i made that scary thing going go away by this behavior i'm going to remember that in the future and then they'll continue to uh and co- kind of exhibit that behavior in the future to make scary things go away because it works so well for them. So safety mm-hmm. and management are absolutely essential. And it's not to say that we have to keep our dogs like in this bubble, right? We don't want to just say, oh, let's keep our dogs away from everything. But we can really mitigate risks, um, especially if we discover there's an issue. Like let's say we've got a puppy that is growling near the food bowl or something. Um, we can we really want to prevent that particular behavior from being practiced again. So that's where management is absolutely essential in those cases as well um, to, to, again, really just uh, prevent practice or rehearsal of that behavior while we're working through the behavior change strategies. We'll eventually have the goal of, okay, this puppy can eat without growling in the food bowl in normal circumstances, but we got to get there by preventing it. Yes, because once a behavior that is not something that we want is continually performed by the dog. It's getting reinforced over and over again. And then it's at, after a while, it's harder to change that association. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's like putting a huge deposit into this, this big bank account of distrust in the process or fear of the process or, you know, and, and, and you're also adding a reinforcement history there. So, If you do that, you're just going to be spinning your wheels with trying to change the behavior in the long run. So I have a a client that I took on with the rescue dog that has fear and aggression towards strangers. And it's a three-year-old rescue dog and they love it to death. Their emotional bank account is huge. And I'm doing significant work with this dog. And I have gotten some emails from the owner, which was above and beyond what we had thought this dog, you know, was, was experiencing that. When she goes to take a harness off this dog, when it's sleeping, or goes to get something out of its bed when it's sleeping, it growls at her. How concerning should this be for the owner? And what should the owner do at this point? And I already know what my advice to her was, but I kind of want to hear it from you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the old adage, you know, let sleeping dogs lie would certainly apply here. You know, if you have any dog that is displaying aggressive behavior when they're uh, being woken up out of a sleep or, or, you know, or even just kind of not necessarily in deep sleep, but just laying down. Uh, that's 
that's usually a function of the, you know, you can't basically can't really train a dog while they're sleeping, right? <laughs> you can't do much behavior change plan. So, so it's really a hundred percent management. That's, and I want to put a side note in there. So there's definitely something when I, whenever you're seeing that on a dog is to have a, a veterinarian rule out any underlying issues. There's lots of different things that can uh, affect a dog from a medical standpoint that can uh, impact that behavior. But that being said, you know, most it's almost 100% management. Like you, you just learn, don't go near the dog while it's sleeping. Um, maybe ask the dog to wake up from across the room rather than touching the dog while they're sleeping. Because, you know, you're not training while the dog's sleeping, you know. It's, yeah, that's what, that's what she says. She said in the email, I, I walked up to him to take his harness off. He, he fell asleep right after you left because uh, of our session because he was mentally exhausted. I walked up to him an hour later to take the harness off. He growled. I just turned around and walked away. I went back an hour later when he was awake and there was no issue. So she yeah. did not escalate that anymore. She was smart enough to know that. And I think that's really important for a lot of puppy owners to understand, which is the base of this whole interview, is that if you suspect anything like that going on, don't push the envelope because then you're going to set the puppy off to do something that you don't want them to do and they don't want to do either. A puppy doesn't want to be aggressive. A puppy doesn't want to have those behaviors. They're just, they're doing it, like you said, out of, out of necessity. Yeah. Well, the four worst words that can happen is when somebody says, so they get used to it. You know, so that's a lot of our clients will do that. Our pet owners will do that with they, they will say, okay, well, he didn't get like the harness that one time, but he's just got to get used to it. So they continue to push that in an effort to sort of uh, get the dog to accept that type of handling or that procedure or whatever we're doing with the dog. So they get used to it, which a lot of times can backfire. Uh, where the dog's like, I just don't like what you're doing. Why do you keep trying? Why do you keep even pushing it further when I'm clearly communicating I don't like it? So uh, it's it's much better when we start kind of looking at the dog side of the conversation and saying that, okay, what is it that the dog, what's the motivation for the dog's behavior in the first place? And can we change it so the dog's being more cooperative in this uh, little communication rather than me pushing myself and my own needs onto the dog at that moment so um yeah it's it can be very damaging when we when we push the envelope too much if they wanted to fix that if they wanted to get that under control and better managed and had the dog not do that it would it would involve a significant amount of desensitization counter conditioning differential reinforcement am i am i correct with that we'd have to go through the protocols to to make that to, to change his association is that right so are you, are you talking about the dog that's sleeping? The, the yeah, sleeping the dog that's sleeping, yeah. So again, I, I, you really wouldn't see much behavior change if you're trying to do any kind of training while the dog's sleeping, of course. Just like teaching, trying to teach somebody how to speak Spanish if they're in a deep nap. Nothing's going to happen there, right? Like I can read, I can read you a book in another language while you're sleeping. You're not going to remember anything when you wake up. Same thing for dogs. I can't do much training there. So that's again boils down to a management issue. Now, that being said, we can say, okay, what if the dog's got a problem with having a harness taken off, even when it's fully alert, standing up? That is something I would certainly work on, you know, through counter conditioning, through cooperative care type exercises where that dog is saying, okay, I'm ready to move to the next step with you taking the harness off. We can teach dogs to communicate like that with a start button behaviors is something uh, that's well known for that where the dog gives you a behavior that says, I'm ready to move to the next step in this particular exercise. And you reinforce that, and then you continue to reinforce that communication as the dog's going along. 
And you're able to remove the harness by combining counter conditioning with that, where you're pairing the act of taking a harness off or the steps of taking a harness off with something good happening. And a lot of times we're using food. So like a, taking one clip off the harness and then food happens. Take another clip off, food happens. Then harness comes off the head, food happens. That's counter condition. Dogs like saying, starting to learn that when people take my harness off, good things happen. So that's where you can certainly uh, add that into the mix. Um, so yeah, this really depends on kind of what state of mind the dogs and whether they're sleeping or alert. Right, right. Now, I had a client text me last night and she said, I worked with this dog too. It's a golden doodle, just got neutered. And she said, my dog is now aggressive since he got neutered. And I said, well, tell me what's going on. Well, he went to the dog park and he's about 65 pounds and he started being very rough with little dogs. I said, well, I wouldn't say that's necessarily aggressive, but you know what? I've got an expert on my radio, on my podcast tomorrow, and I'm going to ask him this for you so you can get that right from him. Is, is there any scientific evidence that a dog gets neutered and they have more aggression? I, I, I can't find anything on that. Yeah, so that, it, it depends. It, that's usually related to the procedure, not so much the removal of hormones. So there's some complication with the procedure. The dog's still in pain or has been affected by the anesthetic or uh, medication that's being used post-surgery. So I always look for that first before starting to look at um, hormonal differences. Now, there is some research that shows that uh, at certain ages, you're more likely to see, uh, depending on what age the dog was spayed or neutered, you're more likely to see certain types of behavior changes and aggression being one of them, depending on the age of the dog. But by and large, the vast majority of the time, spaying and neutering is going to have no effect on behavior. There's, cer there's certain specific examples where you will see changes in behavior. You know, two, a, a very obvious one is like two intact males competing over an intact female in heat. In the home, very classic example. You you fix the dogs, or one or two, or all of the dogs. You're not going to have that issue. Um, similarly, with spaying, you might see false pregnancies. You might see something called maternal aggression in dogs. That where spaying would fix that. So yes, yeah, sometimes you can see you can fix the issue based by spaying or neutering, but most of the time, it's not going to have any impact on behavior, and it's not going to cause or decrease aggression uh, from for most cases. All right. Well, I'll I'll let her know that, and uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to talk to her about it and educate her a little bit more on what we've discussed here. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. I know we've did a little bit over time here, about thirty seven minutes. But is there anything else that you want to add up to? I know so far in review, we've we've mentioned that dogs, puppies need a lot of sleep. Owners need to be aware of any early signs of dog changing behavior. Owners need to be aware of their own behavior that could change a puppy's, you know, behavior and seek some help from a dog trainer or a dog behavior consultant when they know that there is something different in the dog, any type of the aggression, maybe dog to dog, dog to owner, dog to human, resource guarding. And those, or even leash aggression, which we never really talked about, but leash aggression is could, could fit in there too. They need to just be proactive with that and get get on board with getting some help and and getting the puppy some obedience training, mental stimulation, exercise, enrichment, socialization is very important for all young puppies. And you know they should have a pretty good handle on things. 
what uh, can you tell people about your website and your podcast? And when is your podcast starting its second season? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, season two of The Bite End of the Dog starts in March. Uh, Mid-March should be the first episode. And depending on when this episode airs, we should be around that time. Uh, but yeah, I've got uh, at least 10 guests. I'm adding in more and I'm actually adding in um, some solo shows. So I've had requests to talk about certain topics. So I'm going to be sharing actual cases I worked through and how I navigated that um, and in a, in a podcast episode format. So I'm excited to be doing that. Uh, I've got the Aggression and Dogs Conference coming up also in October. Uh, we're hoping to still go to Chicago. Really depends on how this COVID thing works out. Uh, but it's going to definitely be happening whether in Chicago or online. Um, we are going to do online one way or the other. So if we do Chicago, it will be streaming from Chicago uh, in October and then online if not. And uh, of course, the Aggression and Dogs Master Course runs year round. Um, I've got some additional webinars coming up also on aggression that I've been, bring, um, I do every year where I bring in other guests. So excited to be doing that. Uh, Suzanne Clothier is, is in the mix for this season. Uh, and I've got a bunch of other guests lined up. So excited to be launching some additional webinars as well. Those should be launching um, early summer. Uh, so yeah, lots going on. And I'm excited to uh, be uh, moving into all that and, and launching season two. You have a lot going on in your life. That's for sure. You're always on webinars and you're always on podcasts and you're just, you're very, very active. And can you can you tell one more? I know that for me, I took the aggressive, the aggressive dog master course last August. And can you just mention a little bit about briefly what that covers for dog trainers and dog behavior consultants and how they can sign up for that? Because I tell you, it is and the support group that is on the Facebook page, the Facebook group is. I mean, that is invaluable as far as I'm concerned. You can't put a money on that. <laughs> yeah, it's a great group, really. I'm, I'm so fortunate. Uh, I always uh, mention I don't have a moderator, and that's a tough thing to do in the Facebook group world, especially for dog trainers. Uh, and it's because they, everybody just treats each other so well with respect and compassion and empathy. So I'm really proud of all of the students in the group because um, I can't do it without them. They, they, they set the tone of good, just cordial uh, conversation. Even when there's debate, uh, everybody's still so respectful of each other. So it's a great supportive group uh, that comes as part of the master course. The master course itself is uh, 23 modules on everything from safety and management and prognosis to uh, understanding medical conditions and ethology, uh, compassion fatigue. There's so much that I want to encompass in there. So there's 23 units on that um, from start to finish. You can sign up anytime during the year. There's, it doesn't have a, uh, a start date as a lot of courses do. It's designed so people can take it on their own time and self-paced. And then once they finish the course itself, they can get access to the uh, live group mentor sessions with me, which happen every other week, all year round. And I cover a variety of topics in the mentor sessions. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been a great experience, and I've been very fortunate to have such a great group of students uh, come through it so far. Awesome, awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for you know being on Puppy Talk today and for sharing all of your knowledge. We didn't even tap into, I think, a lot of stuff that I wanted to because we could have just gone on for hours, and I know this happens a lot. I've listened to a lot of your interviews, and they, you could just go on and on and on about this stuff, but I do appreciate it, and maybe we can have you on again in the future and I just wanted to say again, thanks. And I'm going to post all of Michael's links and how to get in touch with him and about his master course 
in the in the uh, the episode notes and on my website, puppytalkpodcast.com. So I would like to say to everybody that's listening, thank you so much and have a great day. Thanks, Dale. This is Dale Buchanan, host of Puppy Talk Podcast. I have an announcement of a new book that I just published called Potty Training Your Puppy. It's available on Amazon in Kindle and paperback, soon to be available on audiobook. You can find out all the details of this book using the link in the show notes. It's called Potty Training Your Puppy. It's a comprehensive book with a simple and effective way to help potty train your puppy, and it really works. Check out the link in the show notes.